0: Having received the living water of eternal life, let us worship in spirit and truth and share the hope of Christ with our community. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Some years ago when I was in high school, one summer... I got a job, walking beans. How many you know that term, what it means to walk beans, soybean fields, you know that? Well it's a little it's it's a first cousin to detasseling. Anybody done detasseling? Any of that? Yeah we're living in a, what's, what is this? We're in a rural community here. In, in, okay. So anyway, well, here's what happens is you've got these big soybean fields and these weeds grow up in them. And so sometimes on some of the farmers, one of my friends, his father was a farmer or family were farmers. And so he would hire us to walk the bean fields, which means you would walk, get out in these huge fields. You'd be responsible for four rows of, of soybeans and you'd walk in your middle. This was your middle row. And then you would just reach down and grab up and pull the weeds wherever they are. And so when they're right here or here that's not so bad, but inevitably where the weeds tend to be most often on the far side of the furthest row out, right. So you're sitting there, so you're going over here and pulling there, and you're doing that constantly. And of course, early in the morning, the the, weed, the soybeans still have dew on them, and then it gets hot, and you're sweating, and it's humid, all of that. And of course, you it's easy to get a little confused about which rows are yours and that. And so you're constantly looking, trying to do the math from where everybody else is to make sure you're in your middle row. And so about every five minutes, you hear someone shouting are you in your middle row you know so constantly there with that now why am i telling you this story i'm telling you this story because i don't think i ever knew thirst physical thirst the way i did when i was doing that job walking those beans and i also don't think i ever knew physical refreshment the way I knew it from that. Because in this field, there was one field we were working one time. We're going through there, and we're doing, and man, we are all so hot and thirsty. And he kept telling us, hey, when we get done, we'll swing back around. There's an artesian, they had an artesian spring, a well there on the property there. And I said, oh, it's like you did, this water is great, you're going to love it. And so we're all, we're looking forward to it, and we get there. And sure enough, here is this water springing up that's just cool And it's refreshing, and it's the best water I've ever tasted, you know. And I remember, now it may have been because I was so thirsty, but I'm telling you, I don't think I have ever been so refreshed than I was by that water that was coming up out of that spring on that day, the way that it physically refreshed me. I want to talk to you today, then, about another kind of water, though, that refreshes us, and that is living water. Living water that refreshes the soul. As we continue in our series here on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, going into some of these events in Jesus' first year of earthly ministry, looking at the living water in our text is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. And here is the key theme the key idea that I want us to take away from this message here today. And that is, having received the living water of eternal life, let us worship in spirit and truth and share the hope of Christ with our community. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have drunk from the well of living water that has refreshed your soul, refreshed your spirit, given you the gift of eternal life, the knowledge of God, and now he calls us to worship him in spirit and truth, and to take that hope—that hope we have in Christ—to people right here in our community. Before we look at our text in John four one through forty two, a little context for our text. Uh, some this is in earthly Jesus earthly ministries here first century A.D. But some one thousand so or years before then, there was the kingdom of Israel, the first king Saul, and then David. And then Solomon. But after the death of Solomon, you may recall that the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel. And the southern kingdom that became known as Judah. And unfortunately, things didn't go so well spiritually, well for either kingdom, but particularly in the north. Uh, How many Bible students here can tell me how many righteous kings, kings who wanted to follow God, were there in the north, in the northern kingdom of Israel. Big fat zero, right? Zero, not one. And after centuries of warning, God finally brought judgment on the kingdom then when they were invaded by the kingdom of Assyria in 722 BC. And so many of those uh, citizens of Israel, they were sent into exile then, uh, and not all of them, though. Some of them remained behind. And then meanwhile, there were citizens from, other, from Assyria and other foreign nations that came in. And so the people there, the Jews in the kingdom of Israel then, began, they intermarried with the Assyrians and other foreign peoples there. And as a result of that, there was some corruption that took place then, too, in their religion. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom of Judah... They had kind of a mixed record. There were some good and righteous kings, but there were some wicked ones as well. But eventually, they too came under judgment, and they fell to the Babylonians in the early 500s BC. And so, when Jews went into exile from the south, when they came back then, they reestablished their their nation there. Uh, But there was some tension then that developed between the Jews of the southern kingdom, and then the people in the north that they called them Samaritans. The Samaritans then were the descendants of people who had intermarried, Jews who had intermarried with the Assyrians. And so, There was this tension between the two of them such that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along too well. And some of the Jews really had some very very negative attitudes then toward Samaritans then. They were considered uh, half-breeds, but then also because of religious issues, the mixture there of their religion, they were considered impure then in that regard as well that Jesus told a story there about what we know the what the good samaritan what was so shocking about that was here were all these good Jews who did nothing to help this neighbor who was in need and then along comes a samaritan a despised person and he did the right thing then right and we all know that story then so because of this tension because of this hatred even that there was Jews would avoid traveling through Samaria. Now, if you're in Jerusalem, in Judah, and you wanted to get north into Galilee, well, the easiest, quickest thing would be to go straight north through Samaria. But if you did that, who were you going to run into in Samaria? Samaritans, right? So many of the Jews, they would avoid that. They would avoid Samaria. And they would go all the way over to the Mediterranean coast and go up that way and then back around. Or they would go across the Jordan Valley and go up that way and then cross back over then just to avoid traveling through Samaria. Such was their hatred. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid Samaria and the Samaritans. In fact, we learn today he had important business to attend to. In Samaria. So let's look at John chapter 4. Let's start with the verse 15 verses there. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here we see the living water, the living water. First off, we see a little something interesting that John tells us right at the beginning there. He says that when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that, that, uh, that the, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. We wonder, what is that about? Well, here's what was happening is, remember, John the Baptist had quite a following, didn't he? And then when Jesus came on the scene, John said, what? This is the one. He is the one. He is greater than I am. We must follow him. You know, John had come to simply prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. But there was some tensions that developed between the disciples of John and then the new disciples of Jesus. There were people who were still loyal to John, and there developed a bit of a rivalry. How many of you are surprised by this, that there was a rivalry that developed? And so there were some of John's disciples were upset that Jesus was becoming more popular than John. You might think, oh, I can't believe these people. Do you believe that? Well, how many of you know that sometimes we have problems today, don't we, with rival ministries? Oh, well, this preacher is more popular than that one, right? Well, that's what was happening here. And so it was becoming an issue. And Jesus, he had more important things to deal with, and so he decided to leave there and to go to Galilee which is where much of his ministry would take place then. So that's why he's leaving there, and he's going north to Galilee. Now, many of Jews would have gone either to the left or to the right, but what did Jesus do? He went straight up through Samaria. And I think it's interesting that the text doesn't just say that that he went, there, that he went through there. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to pass. He could have gone through Samaria. He could have gone other routes. So why do you think the text tells us, no, Jesus had to pass through Samaria? He had an appointment. Or somebody, rather, somebody had an appointment with him. Right? And he knew that. And who did Jesus, did Jesus come for the Jews? Yes, of course. But who else did he come for? Everybody at Samaritans. Gentiles, everyone, right? And there was a divine appointment, so he had to pass through Samaria. And he comes to this place. He's tired, and he's thirsty. Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. Is Jesus man? Yes, he is. And so he was tired. He was thirsty. What? He's Jesus is human. He grew tired, he grew thirsty, just like you do and I do. And so he came there, he was wearied from the journey, and he sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, most likely, if the reckoning here is that the, day, the Jewish day began at 6 a.m., and so the sixth hour of the day, if your day starts at 6 a.m., what is the sixth hour of the day? Noon. Noon. How many of you know it gets a little warm? Well, it can get very warm any time of the day, but when when does it tend to get really hot? Midday, around noon, right? So there is Jesus sitting at the well there, and it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, you know, when, when the women would come to draw water, they would usually go in groups. How many of you know women like to get together when there's a task to be done? They like to get together and talk while they're doing their task, right? No, I know know that, that, that happened. But let's wait, do guys like to do that too? Yes, we do. Let's be honest here, guys, right? So oftentimes the women would come to the well, they would come in groups, and they would generally come either in the early morning or in the evening. Why? Because it was cooler then. So here comes this woman by herself, the hottest time of the day, what do you think that means? She was an outcast, right? She was an outcast. Now we find out in a little bit here why. But she was an outcast in her own community there. And so she comes by herself in the heat of the day to draw the water. And Jesus says to give me a drink. And she's shocked and stunned by this. Why? you a jew you're you're talking first Jews won't have no dealings and here is this here is this man who is talking to her a Jewish man is talking to her why why would you talk to me? He's very surprised, but then Jesus gives us a master class in sharing the faith, a master class in evangelism Jesus says what if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. By the way, I think that this is another indication here of Jesus' deity. I said, what, Jesus is human, Jesus is God, right? A little earlier, we see humanity on display, didn't we? Is he was weary. He was tired. He was thirsty. He had to stop and rest and get a drink. But here now, he says, if you knew who I am, you would have asked me, and I would have given you. Who's giving her this living living water, as we'll see, is its spiritual refreshment. It's life. It's eternal life. Who alone can give eternal life to someone? God, right? And Jesus says, you would have asked him, me and I would have given you living water. Jesus can say that because he's God, and he can give living water. Now, you and I, we can speak of the living water and tell others of the living water, but we can't give it to someone, can we? No. Only he can give it. You might wonder, well, why does Jesus talk about this? Well, first of all, because he's, he's beautifully drawing from I said, Jesus loved to teach using practical, everyday examples, right? You can't get much more practical than this right here with this water here and this need for water to satisfy or meet a need. And he says, I would have given you living water. You've come for physical water, but I will give you living water. Making a connection there to her. Now, we wonder, why would he say living water? Well, if you go back and you look in the Old Testament scriptures, first of all, she may not have been as familiar. She was familiar with the scriptures to a degree. But the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And so there were other books then in the Old Testament scriptures she would not have known or been familiar with. But if you look in Jeremiah chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 4, Zechariah chapter 14, and some others, you see that God uses this expression of living water, that living water is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the knowledge of God, knowing God, and for the grace of God, for spiritual cleansing and refreshment for spiritual life and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You see, all of these living references in the Old Testament text to living water. So Jesus says, you've come for physical water? If you'd ask me, I would give you living water. Because course, she does not understand that. And she takes him literally, though, doesn't she? She says, Can you give me this? Jesus says, what? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. When we drink physical water, it may satisfy our our, our thirst for a a moment, right? But later on, we're going to be thirsty again. But when we drink the living water, the knowledge of God, the refreshment of the Spirit, eternal life, We'll never be thirsty, because once you have Jesus, you don't need anything else, do you? You have it all. You have him all. Once you have his eternal life, you don't need anything else. You will never thirst again. By the way, I don't think Jesus is saying, do we get, even as, as followers of Jesus, do we get spiritually hungry and thirsty sometimes? Sure we do. But we know where to go, don't we? And we have the one who satisfies And we'll never lose that life he gives us, the spiritual life. So, this woman then is curious, but she doesn't understand. She wants this water because, hey, I'll never be thirsty again. I'm not going to have to come out to this well anymore. Still not understanding, right? So, Jesus then shifts the conversation to where it must go now because before we can have the living water life in Christ there's something else we need to to deal with first right we have to deal with our sin don't we or acknowledge our sin so what does jesus say verse 16 jesus said to her go call your husband and come here once again jesus showing his knowledge of all people right and the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I like what the other woman replies. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. All right? And then she said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The living water is good news, isn't it? The gospel, eternal life in Christ is very good news. But in order to understand and receive the good news, we also have to acknowledge there's some bad news, though, too, right? And the bad news is, is, our, is our sin, that we're under judgment for our sin. And we must acknowledge that, admit that, confess that, and then we receive forgiveness and life in Jesus. That's the good news, Right? So he says, go call your husband and come here. Now Jesus knew full well what her situation was. It's a way of bringing up this issue of sin in her life. And again, I love how she replies, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. How could you know that? This total stranger, how could this stranger know that? Obviously, this has been revealed to him. Well, he was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet, wasn't he? He was God himself. And so she says, "You're a prophet." Ah, and then what does she think? Rather than talking about what Jesus has just said, what does she do? Here's my chance to get a question answered. Oh, oh, you know, sometimes you know, you feel like a, someone, a, a doctor. You find out the person is a doctor, and then people start peppering him or her all the time with questions, medical questions, right? So, oh, you're a prophet. Oh, while I've got you, listen, I got a question for you, right? Now, some have wondered. Is she avoiding the topic of her sin? Maybe. There may have been a method to that to that. Or it may have been just like many of us, what? We we hear something and oh our mind immediately goes to something, it springs up. Here's my chance to get my question answered. So I don't really know. We don't really know what was in her heart at that moment, but but that's where that's what she asks here. She says, uh, oh, you since you're a prophet, you could answer the question. There's this debate here between Jews and Samaritans about the proper place to worship. See, you Jews say it's down in Jerusalem there on the temple. That's where you worship. But we Samaritans, we say, no, this is the proper place. This mountain over here, this is Mount Gerizim. This is the right place to worship. So which is it? To which Jesus says, in effect, what? You're not under, you're missing the whole point of this. Worship isn't about a location. Now, is it true that there are special locations we might go to and and worship at those locations? Sure, but worship isn't something that's about being in a particular location and doing certain things. Worship is what—it's a matter of the heart. It's a—it's spirit. You don't worship at Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem in the temple. You may—you may worship there, but you don't. Have to go there to do that worship is what worship is in spirit wherever you are says what God is spirit, and the Father is seeking true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is seeking such to worship him when we worship in spirit, it means that worship is not merely an outward external conformity to certain rituals in a certain place now again there's nothing wrong with having special places or things that we may do as part of our faith for example we've come here on sunday morning and we are i hope worshiping here together but you don't need to be here to worship do you i hope you're worshiping here but you don't need to be here to worship Which, by the way, that's not an excuse to avoid coming to church in person, by the way. All right? So, worship isn't about where you are. Worship is in spirit. It's in your heart. God is spirit. We worship in spirit. It's inward. It's relational. It's not outer and ritual. So, we worship in spirit from the depth of our being, wherever we are and we worship in truth. See, this woman was confused. And we when we worship, we can't worship God as we understand God. We worship God as he has revealed himself in his word, right? That's worshiping in truth is worshiping the true God in the way that he desires or commanded us to worship him. That's worshiping in truth. The true God in the right way, the way that he has told us. Worship in spirit and in truth, in your heart, the true God, as God has revealed himself, and how he wants to be worshipped. And the woman says, "What? well, I know Messiah is coming, and when Messiah comes, the Christ, he will tell us all things. And then what? The big reveal, Jesus said to her, I am he who speaks to you. I am the Messiah. So Jesus was revealing the fact that he is the promised one, the Messiah, the one who was promised to come to bring God's blessings on people. John goes on to tell us, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Sharing their hope. The disciples are shocked that he's talking with her. Of course, that wasn't going to prevent Jesus from sharing this good news, was he? The woman left and went back to town to tell others. She was so excited. She wanted others to hear this too. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah? And people were coming to him then. the disciples said jesus rabbi teacher eat and jesus says something enigmatic to them i have food that you don't know about now let's face it we kind of chuckle because we know we know the story we've read it before we get it but let's say if you were there if i was there what do you think how do you think you would have reacted exactly like they did like what does he have something we don't know about Uh, because they were going into town to buy, f- buy food, and he says, oh, I have food you don't know about. You would have thought the same thing, and I would have too, right? Does he have something we don't know about? But again, Jesus, ever the teacher, says what? My food is to do the will of him. So he was talking about his spiritual, his spiritual sustenance was by doing the will of God the Father, right? So phys- physical water refreshes our physical bodies. The living water refreshes our souls. It's eternal life. Physical food supplies the need for our body. Our spiritual sustenance is to do the will of God, to be in right relationship with God and obedience to him. That sustains us, doesn't it? And Jesus says, look about. What is the will of God for him, for Jesus at that moment? Well, as the, he had come to, to seek and to save, and he was proclaiming the message here. And he says, don't you know, look all around you, the fields are ripe for harvest, that there are many who need to hear this good news. He says something to me, he says, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You know the reality is when when someone comes to Christ, receives the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. It may be because of a message that you have shared with them, or it may be the case as often as we may share our faiths with someone, and we don't see a response at that time, do we? But it was part of a process that God used to bring. Bring that person eventually. Sometimes we sow the seed and the seed just, Satan comes and snatches it away and nothing happens, right? But other times we sow that seed and it starts to take root, but we don't see it right then and there. Someone else maybe comes along and waters, and then someone else has the joy of seeing the harvest. So we don't know. Our job isn't to save others, is it? Our job is simply to do what? To proclaim. To proclaim. And we may have the joy and the privilege of being the one who gets to see the harvest this time. Someone else may see the harvest from something you said yesterday. We don't know. But our job is to be faithful. You know, today we are... uh, opening up our grand opening of this new children's ministry wing here. And you know what? I'm going to ask you all to pray for that today because it isn't just a nursery or just a place for the kids to go while we're while in here doing the important stuff, right? No, the important stuff. This is important, what we're doing here. But you know what's also very, very important? What they're doing in there, isn't it? We don't know when the harvest will come. Sow the seeds. Sow the seeds. Well, many Samaritans in that, they did come to believe, first, because they were curious from what the woman said about Jesus, and then they, they saw him for themselves, and they believed. Our job is to point people to Jesus. He does the heavy lifting of saving people. So what? what Anybody do? Well. Having received the living water of eternal life, let us worship in spirit and truth and share the hope of Christ with our community. Have you received the gift of living water? you put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life? If you have, then, do you worship in spirit and truth? I hope you worship when you come here on Sunday morning but I hope this isn't the only time or place you worship because worship is something we do what? Anywhere, anytime, every day. Worship in spirit. It's not outward ritual. It is an inner relationship with the living God. You worship in spirit and truth. The truth of the true God, how he has revealed himself in his word, walking in faith and obedience to him. Finally, then, this isn't just just for us, is it? This is for everyone, everyone to hear. You share the hope of Christ with others. Maybe it's in your own home, your neighborhood, your workplace, club that you're a part of, casual conversation in a grocery store. Share the hope of Christ with others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you For the gift of living water, eternal life, that this living water, Lord, refreshes our souls, wells up within us to become eternal life. May we be faithful in sharing this news, this hope of Christ, with others. May we be faithful in worshiping you in spirit and truth, not a a once-a-week thing, but an everyday thing, wherever we are. Teach us, Lord, to worship you in the way that you desire and you are worthy. we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.